Hello and welcome to the Fire Podcast. I'm Ryan Rhodes. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen today. Today I have a great guest. His name is Vince Canagarage. And today we talk about him growing up with racism in his heart towards his own culture and ethnicity, revival in India, and smacking people with the Bible Wigglesworth style, introducing the man in white through missions, and how does Jesus actually want to be introduced. It's a great episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. If you enjoy this show, if you appreciate what FIRE is doing and you want to support it, uh, you can go to firemovement.com slash support and you can give a one-time or monthly gift there. We appreciate all of it. Thank you so much. Before we jump in the episode, here is a quick sponsor segment. Religion loves Jesus the teacher, is even okay with Jesus the prophet. Religion is not okay with Jesus the breaker of bondage, the transformer of hearts, the savior of nations. Because the real Jesus is the anointed one. He doesn't just have good teachings. He is the, the breaker of bondage. He will transform you. But you got to go after knowing him more. He's worth it. He's worth, he's worth your time. He's worth your life. And there's, there's nothing, this, this city, this nation, the nations of the world are not going to be transformed by a satisfied people. They're going to be transformed by lovesick warriors. Because if he's for us, who can be against us? If the king of the universe and all of his goodness, all of his backing, if all of heaven is for you, is standing behind you, supporting you, how, how could anything succeed against you? How could you fail? We could, we could change the world. That's not just a fun phrase. If you'll give your life to this thing, to the real thing, if you'll find the real Jesus, the one who burns with eyes of fire, if you'll get a real hunger in your belly and you don't let anything else stop you, and if you'll, if you'll align yourself with who you are as a son or daughter of God, there is nothing that can stop you. This is the Fire Podcast. Well, I'm here with my friend, uh, Vincent Canagarage. Uh, we call him Vince for short. Um, so glad to have you here. This is uh, great to get to do this. For those uh, who aren't us, uh, you don't know that we've already recorded this once <laughs> and didn't like it. It's a um, secret. Yeah, it was good. Maybe I'll, maybe I'll release it as a bonus episode at some point. Um, but we did it. We were just trying it out, kind of seeing, you know, with this this new season, how it work out. And uh, it was fun. And it was yeah. good. God was on it. Yeah. Um, so hopefully. A lot of cool stuff came out of it. Yeah, hopefully he's on this one. <laughs> um, or maybe I'll bring in some snippets of it. I don't know. It depends on how much editing I want to do. Uh, but we're just going to have a conversation. I just yeah. want to talk to you a little bit today. Um, I, I love I love this guy a lot. And, uh, and just to give you guys some background. So we moved out here to Seattle and I started at a company, um, a month later after, after moving out here and started hearing about, about Vince (laughs) around our, our workplace. And, uh, he's one of the top salespeople and, you know, there's a lot of people there. Um, so we didn't really connect for a while, but when we did connect, I was blown away by his heart for God. And, um, the reason we connected is because I overheard him on the phone talking about going to Reading <laughs> and going there annually. And I just knew no one, no one goes to Reading just to go to Reading. Like you go to Reading for Bethel. And so I, I knew he was, uh, 
he was he was one of one of my people like you know my type of person and I wanted to talk to him and then when we did talk um, I just remember being ready to cry uh, just hearing him talk about his love for Jesus and how tangible how tangible God was on that conversation um, and so anyways I'm 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 blown away by who you are um, and he's an amazing worship leader amazing father and husband uh, he's been an incredible friend um, you know kept uh, kept me alive and hungry in, a, in some dark times I think um, during our friendship uh, and just being out here and you know Seattle's not an easy area uh, to come into so having a friend here has been huge uh, and such a, a God-ordained thing um, and I, I know that our there's a lot of our future that's intertwined together, so it's it's cool to get to do this on the front end, and this will be something that we get to listen back on later on, and and kind of see what we talked about and that sort of thing. But, anyways, Vince, I'm so glad glad you're here. Appreciate it, man. Yeah, yeah um, I'm honored. Yeah, likewise. Uh, I I just want to talk today, and I have I have some things I want to bring up um, that I've kind of pre-planned. All right. Um, but first off, is there anything that uh, you feel like they should know about you? Any, any way oh, I, man. I introduced you that was wrong? or <laughs> No, not wrong. But uh, a lot of what I think you said, and it has to be noted, Like I think it's likewise in this journey of us being out here in Seattle. I think that you guys have been a staple in our hunger as well. Um, that's a forever piece, I think, for our journey. Um, not just here in Seattle, but um, I think wherever we go. Yeah. Um, so I think it's worth noting, like, it's not just that Vince was in Ryan's life, but Ryan was in Vince's life. Um, really humbling and, um, yeah, just really divine the way that the Lord um, just went before us to orchestrate us coming together in this way. Yeah. Because now, I mean, you are one of my best friends out here. And, um, gosh, I mean, we call you family. We call you more than, way more than friend. Yeah. Um, I mean, we did Christmas. Yeah, we did <laughs> Christmas, Christmas together. together. Um, Thanksgiving. Yeah, and it felt like it, it just didn't feel exhausting, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> it felt like we were like actually being family. Yeah. So I think that's, that's just the key call out. It's not just that we're doing things together or that even that we're friends that are, yeah, doing whatever. I think it's... It's definitely that the Lord's intertwined us to be family. Mm. So it's really good. Yeah. It's been kind of beautiful because when when we met and we got into this a little little bit in the last one that uh, the listeners may or may not ever hear, um, but it was really beautiful how we didn't rush as much as I know I I wanted to. We didn't rush the relationship, and also there wasn't anything to like. You know, we were doing our we were doing our dinners, our Friday night dinners and stuff, and like I obviously wanted to invite you into those, and eventually we did, um, which was really good. Uh, but there was nothing to like recruit you into. Like yeah. we didn't have a church to be like, oh, you need to come be a part of our church, and like all the typical Christian yeah. ministry things you do when you find somebody who's awesome. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Try to volunteer the mess out of them. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I was so scared even to. I felt like I was supposed to invite you to lead worship and I was scared to do it because I absolutely did not want you to think I was recruiting you. Yeah. And, um, cause I know how that feels mm-hmm. and it was really beautiful how that stayed so pure and, and organic. Yeah. Um, and 
God had almost like eliminated for both of us even the ability to do that. Like there's yeah. nothing to recruit each other into. Especially, it's just yeah. like you yeah. guys like learn how to be friends. Right. Yeah. Learn how to be yeah. I think that was that was probably honestly if if I don't know that I would have been totally turned off if you did. But I, I think that I would have probably taken it, but I I don't think I would have been as vulnerable with you mm. as I have been. Um yeah. which ultimately would have lead led to a, a demise in friendship, right? Yeah. Um, because I think that um, vulnerability is like the the foundation, the key foundation piece to um, authenticity within our friendships. Mm. And if we're not vulnerable, I think that, um, I think we don't actually allow the um, genuine humanity and the um, godliness of Christ to be manifest in our relationships. Um, or just are in our, in our own hearts, you know. Um, that's a lot of bit what I've like learned about over the past few years, and I think that, um, yeah, just our friendships with you and our kind of relatedness has kind of brought that out even more so. Hmm. Yeah, I like I like how you said that with the vulnerability, um, allowing that depth of, uh, depth of relationship to happen, and if we would have went the other way. It makes sense because it, I mean, it would have, that, that thing is religion. Yeah. Like that thing that is 100%. like, I've got to recruit you into facade, what I'm doing. Yeah. I can't just be friends with you. Like, you know, in order for us to have a relationship, we got to be a part of the same ministry thing. Yeah. Um, it's form without power. It's, yeah. it's a form of relationship without the power of relationship. Yeah. The, and it's borderline manipulation, man. Yeah. Like it, it is like. And I, I, I have seen people like recruited into things without any desire for that relationship. Hmm. And it's like, dude, that's not Jesus, man. Like Jesus called the 12 disciples to him and then walked day by day with them. Yeah. Like, they saw things in Jesus that we can only dream about. You know what I mean? And it's like, when I think about that level of authenticity and vulnerability, like that's what I want. Hmm. Um, I think, um, I'm kind of going off here, but um, one of the things that I I have gone after like hard, you know, um, since before we moved to um, Seattle, because we moved here from Springfield, Missouri, and we spent seven years in Springfield, had a great community, family, all that kind of stuff, like um, was pretty well set up. But when we came out to here to Seattle, felt really alone, isolated, um, just a crazy journey. But one of the things I had been going up after like hard was this whole idea of deep friendships. Hmm. And so to come out to Seattle, not knowing anybody and then meeting you guys and then wanting, wanting to like just go all in with you, but then feeling the Lord pull us back a little bit Hmm. and let us authentically and organically come together I think has just revealed so much of the true friendship of God Hmm. um, that I don't think I would have experienced apart from that. And now, like, honestly, I feel like I have the most deep relationships I've ever had in my life. Yeah. And that's, you know, three, four or five years of like crying out for it. Like being like God, like where are these people? <laughs> mm-hmm. Where are all these? Where are all these people that like will accept me for me and not what I can do for them? Yeah, it's so funny too that God would bring 
bring us to Seattle. I know it's not the only reason, but he'd bring us to Seattle, which is known for the Seattle freeze. Yeah. Maybe the the rest of the country doesn't know that, but like (laughs) Seattle is known for the Seattle freeze, which is people are cold. They're isolated. Mm -hmm. It's hard to break into any kind of friend group. If they're, if a friend group exists, if Mm -hmm. people actually hang out, it's hard to break into it. Mm -hmm. Um, and he brought us here to build relationship that has depth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just the the humor of the Lord, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, one thing that I, when I was thinking, actually, on the, the when I was driving over here, um, I was thinking this would be kind of interesting to talk about. Um, so I don't even know if you're willing to go here, but um, we had. One of the first things we talked about um, at Whole Foods was I kind of heard some of your story growing up, you know, what it was like for your parents to kind of drag you to some things, you know, trying to get you saved, and you yep. were definitely not saved. <laughs> um, but also uh, some of your not liking your own culture mm. um, and some, some of those pieces. I think that's, I think there's some. Uh, there's something in that that we need we need to talk through uh, mm-hmm. if you if you're open yeah um, mm-hmm. open book but can, can you share a little bit about that about just not you know growing up you're Indian your family's yeah. Indian but wanting nothing to do and actually being to the point that you're racist towards your own <laughs> culture yeah, man it was so bad I uh, so the backstory here is when I was in fifth grade. Um, my parents actually were going to move us from Detroit, Michigan, or suburb of Detroit, down to either Augusta, Georgia, or um, I think it was Charleston, South Carolina. Wow. Um, so very, like, the south. deep south, right? <laughs> but then on top of that, like, I went to a private Catholic school that I had made a name for myself in. Like, at, at, you know, in fifth grade, like, like, what kind of name do you have? But I had a name for myself, man. Like, I remember um, the eighth grade, like, boys and girls, they loved Vince Canna Garage. And it was mm-hmm. primarily because of how I played soccer. Because I was a really good soccer player, and I would, like, play with the upperclassmen. Uh, and I'd keep up, you know. Um, and so they would always be like, hey, that's Vince, you know, all that kind <laughs> of stuff. Walking through the halls, I was the popular kid, right? And then they tried to move. And we withdrew um, our consideration for the following year of enrollment um, from the Catholic school. And so by default, I was forced to like let go of all of that Hmm. that I had built up in this school and go to this cat, I mean, um, this public school um, that (laughs) I didn't know anybody at. And the only other Indian guy that was in my class was Hindu, number one, and my family identified as Christian, even though I didn't know Jesus, like we did the church thing week to week. Um, but yeah, the only other uh, classmate was that was Indian was, um, you know, he was Hindu. He like was traditional Hindu, like came in with all this stuff, right? Like. <laughs> didn't eat meat, um, you know, and like talked openly about his X amount of gods, you know? And, um, I remember getting into the class and I I thought to myself, 
I need to make a name for myself. Like that's just what it was. It was this this sense that I needed mm-hmm. to please people. Uh, I needed other people's it's love and support, right? Even at a young age. Even at a young age, yeah. And there's like a ton of backstory there. I grew up in this like traditional Indian family where, you know, discipline was the full discipline was a rod, man. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, there was a bunch of things there. But um, what ended up happening was, uh, I remember that first week. It was Bruce Collins Elementary, sixth grade, in Sterling Heights, Michigan. And I, that first week, I remember hearing, overhearing, the other kids pick on this other Indian guy, hmm. and it was because he smelled like curry right garlic and all that kind of stuff he smelled and you can smell him from across the room they would make fun of him for that they'd make fun of him for worshipping a cow right um, and then they would make fun of him for uh, not eating meat and I had to like in my own mind I had to like make a stand I was like I can't hmm. identify with this guy so by default I went the far other way where I was just like well, all these other kids that are teasing him are, are white, so I guess I'll be white. <laughs> there were literal moments where I would, like, it was so demonic, man. Like, it, I would literally, like, try to scratch myself white. Hmm. Like, because I, I noticed at one point if I didn't put lotion on, you know, when I would make, make marks, it would, it would turn white, my skin white. And it was so twisted. Yeah. Um, and... Yeah, so, like, I started, like, just harping on this guy. Like, there was even one point where um, my buddies and I, my buddies and I, right, we uh, were in the lunchroom, and they were having, uh, I think it was, I think it was, like, chicken, chicken tenders or something like that, Um, and (laughs) he was so bad. Like, we distracted this Indian guy and slipped some of the chicken in his sandwich it's so bad it was so bad and (laughs) I look at that moment and that was just it was not just like bad it was like so horrible man like I was what was I thinking right Um, but that's the level of the need I felt to feel seen and to be loved by all these other people that I didn't know that I was going out of my way to just completely like demolish this kid and really like I think when I look at this kid today I think it still defines him in a way Mm. some of that Um, you know it's a lot to put on that moment but like that culture that I was in and that culture that I fed into because that that followed me throughout high school Um, what did the, this idea that I wasn't really Indian. Mm. Um, and so, you know, I, I kept, I grew, grew up and my best friend was white. And I look back and there was definitely some racism mm. in how he interacted with other cultures. Uh, in fact, uh, there was one time where I dated an Indian girl and he made so much fun of me. Mm. And it was to the point where I was just like, haha, just laughing it off. But I look back and I'm like, if he was making fun of me that much, like how much more so with these other guys? But the reality was I was running with them. So I tried to make myself that. Yeah. 
right? And um, that followed me, like, and it, it obviously created a huge clash at home because I grew up in a traditional Indian household. Did they realize how you felt? Like, did your family? Or were no, you kind of different around No, I, I, like, when when that happened in sixth grade, like, that set me off on a path where I just tried to um, completely divide myself from my family. Um, so, that, relationally, you were getting more and more distant? Yeah. Yeah, relationally, I tried to cut them off. Hmm. Um, and there was, there was a few different reasons for that. It wasn't just because of the, the racism side of things. Like, there was stuff that, um, like, just traditionally, right? Like, I grew up in this traditional home. And some of it came across very controlling, um, where I would go to school and I would want to hang out with some friends. And my mom would be like, no, you got to study. And I'd be like, I'm in sixth grade, dang it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Like, (laughs) and try to, like, kind of buck the system that way. And um, we ended up just clashing. And um, it, it just kind of like sent me off on those two different paths where I, I literally just classified anything Indian as not for me. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was crazy, man. Like I look back at those moments and, um, you know, after I came to Jesus, I, I look back at some of those moments. And I'm like, you know, there were, there were movies that I refused to watch those Bollywood movies. I used to love them growing up. Mm-hmm. But there were movies that I just disassociated myself with, even though I liked the music still. And I would hear it from the other room. And I remember being in my room. I have vivid memories of this. I remember being in my room, like, my heart wanting to tap to the beat of these Bollywood films. Because I remember those memory, or those, 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 those notes and everything. Hmm. Um, but I would close myself in my room and pretend I was just so, just so angry at all of that. Um, yeah, it was just just really sad yeah so what was the process of uh, you know obviously I would believe it's God but like was there a process of God kind of reconnecting you back to your culture having you discover some some side of that that was him that he wanted you to connect with or anything like that yeah I think all of it was him I think the beauty of God is that he's not um, refined or like he's not pinned down to one certain culture right like there's elements of God. I, and this is like a core message of mine. Like I believe that every single human has a unique revelation of the glory of God. Yeah. Like unequivocally, like whoever it is, whatever culture it is, um, whatever stature they are, like every single person carries a unique facet of the face of the Lord. It's just what I believe. Yeah. Um, which is why conforming is so scary because it eliminates, uh, expression of God that the rest of people who don't have that expression need in their life. Yeah. And I think honestly, like this is kind of a a different, but it's, it's kind of a segue to that point. But like, I think for me, when I look at that and I think of, you know, Romans eight, where it says that all of creation is groaning for the sons uh, and daughters of God to be revealed. It's like, I think it goes way deeper than just sons and daughters. It's like every single son carries a unique revelation of the, of the glory of God. Mm. And every single person is something that, uh, or someone that the creation is literally groaning. There's places in creation that are groaning for this revelatory experience manifest wow. on earth. 
as it is in heaven, right? Um, so, like, when I look at my childhood and I look at how I was just trying to conform, trying to conform, trying to conform, it's like, I missed it. I missed it all. And so when I, when I say, like, when I look at Indian culture as a whole, I, I think God is in it, man. I think there's so many aspects of it that God is in. Like, where else are you going to find a, a culture that you literally don't need to know anybody? You can literally go in and say, hey, I'm hungry. And they'll welcome you with open arms. Again, I understand, like, there's caste systems and stuff like that still at play. But for me, like, I have a lot of family in India that I don't know anything about. And I recognize today that if I go to India with nothing, <laughs> I can literally travel all around the country for free, have a place to stay everywhere I go, and always have food on the table. Yeah. I literally have nothing in my pocket. I've done this before. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, <laughs> I've literally done this before. So That's incredible. Yeah, it's like where else do you find love like that, man? Like culture like that, like that is, that is a part of heaven that is revealed. I believe that is, that is a part of heaven. Like I I do believe that that is God's heart, that sort of generosity and the hospitality. Like I believe that is a gift. Hmm. Um, something you, you made me think about, you said, uh, a minute or two ago, you mentioned the, that the earth is groaning, like there's places in the earth that are, are crying out or groaning for expressions, different expressions of God. Mm-hmm. It made me think like, you know, cause, um, we do that. Like as humans, there's, there's parts of us that are actually groaning for pieces of God, and it, but we do it in a sinful way. Like mm-hmm. the expression is sinful, but the cry is godly. Yeah. Like lust is an example of that. Like the expression is, is lusting after another person, but the, the cry actually is your, your humanity, even your flesh, crying out for intimacy with God. Yeah. And so it just makes me think, like, racism, uh, or, or, you know, in America, obviously, the easiest to use is, like, is the Deep South, is yeah. the black and white tension, it's mm-hmm. all of that. And, like, what if those those places where racism has been the most embedded um, and the expression or the the, uh, the expression of that racism has been the most extreme are the ones that are crying out the most. Like, what if the, the people, um, you know, decade, even decades ago when it was, like, lynchings and, you know, all that kind of stuff, like, civil rights era, what if the cry of their heart, and they didn't even realize that the cry of their humanity was actually to be able to grab a hold of the expression of God in the other person that, but because they didn't know that's what it was, it was perverted and it came out as hatred. Yeah. And like even today, and then there's like, you know, a lot of what we're seeing today is like the manifestation of, of this black racial wound mm-hmm. of like, we're hurt and we wish somebody heard Mm -hmm. and like that's being expressed today and it's like how much of that is actually a cry of like hey there's an expression in you and there's been such a separation between us that we need and it's coming out as anger and hurt oh man i would be pissed 
don't know if I'm supposed to say that here, but yeah, I would be too, man. Like you feel the depth of that, man. And it's like, yeah, I'm with you. Yeah. That's really, I, I've never thought of it that way before, but to, to realize it really is that like this anger, yeah. this anger that people have had towards each other, this frustration, this bitterness, even within the church, mm-hmm. you get black church, white church, there's Indian churches, there's yeah. Latino churches. Like, and it's like, what if we really are in, in our fear of each other or being annoyed by each other, our frustration with each other that is not super spoken about, but a lot of it's there. Yeah. Like, what if that actually is a deeper cry of like, I need the expression of God that is in you because in order for heaven to come to earth, and if heaven is every nation, tribe, and tongue, like, I actually need this. And there's going to be a frustration there as long as yeah. I'm not getting that. Yeah. Just in the same way, like with lust, like if you don't fulfill lust, there's actually typically a frustration that comes. Right. But really it's a cry out for, and the real frustration is that your flesh is crying out for God. And it's like, I really do believe that, that we're crying out. Like there's a cry and a frustration towards other cultures right now. That's actually like, I need you. Like I need the expression of Jesus in you. I don't even know what it is, but you know, it's like, we're crying out for that. Yeah, definitely. And I think that when you think of it in light of like, I mean, because Racism has been around for years and years and years, right? But I think that when you, you know, what, what, like the average human right now lives like 80 years, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Right? And and you think about it, like every generation starts over, right? Like (laughs) you're born, whether you're born in a home of racists or your home, a culture of racists or whatever it is, right? Like um, I, I think about like how, each unique person like has to learn to express themselves throughout their lives. Mm-hmm. So you have 80 years, say, to like figure out how you want to articulate this groaning. Mm-hmm. And I, I think about my daughter, right? Like how she's learning. She's 18 months. She's learning how to express what she needs, mm-hmm. right? And when she is not heard, not validated, not seen. She has a meltdown. Yeah. And it's like, I think that, I think that all cultures do this to an extent, right? Like when they're crying out and when you see like riots happening, when you see these things happening, it's like, there's so much deep seated pain that these people are crying out for because they don't know yet how to articulate in a, in a healthy way. And if they have articulated it in a healthy way, it's taken from generations of past, I think they have to like rewire like, okay, well, this isn't working. This hasn't worked. So you start over. Mm. Right. And you start trying to express it again and again and again and again. And it's like, there's a lot of words there. This is my, my, my thought pattern here. This is how I think, um, in, in patterns, like throughout history, it's like you watch what, what I've learned about just studying history, just in general is that there's always patterns. Mm. Yeah. There's always patterns. Like I, I even watched a documentary the other day, um, about this, this pattern, um, of a number that's found in literally everything, everything from like betting to sports to, um, you know, different science, math, mathematics. Like I forgot the name of it, but it's just such, it's so fascinating. Like everything is on a pattern. And there's legitimacy to those patterns. Hmm. And when I think about like God and all of that, it's like, 
well, God already knows the patterns. We're just like learning about it. Um, and I think about, yeah, I just think about how we're reliving some of that all throughout our age, our generation. This is like pretty deep stuff that I ruminate about. But I think about a lot. Um, but yeah, when I read scripture, I, th- I look at the whole narrative, right? As, mm. as, as from Genesis to, to Exodus to, you know, Malachi. And I, I look at the whole journey of the Israelites and it's like, dude, like you can literally find patterns. Mm. Like one minute they're in love with God, right? Like next minute they're like, where are you, God? Yeah. Screw you. Like, I'm going to go this way. And then the next minute, God's like, I have mercy. I have grace. I'm here. And there's, like, when you look at it from the scope of this, like, macro level, it's like you can see these things happening. I, I believe even today. Like, I believe that there's an element of, like, what you see in those early scriptures even happening today. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's the mercy of the Lord, honestly. Um, yeah. Probably don't want to go that route. <laughs> it's, it's a lot, man. <laughs> like, I'm talking like Ichabod <laughs> to Samuel to... <laughs> yeah, we could go pretty deep with all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um... Well, I want to, I do want to go to something. So, um, you texted me the other day about revival in India. Mm. Uh, I'd love to hear more about that Mm -hmm. because I think there's something, there's something even to that. Like there's something to, um, I don't, I don't know how to fully articulate this, but there is something to cultures having different callings and different giftings. Mm. Um, yeah, I've heard you say that before. Yeah, that uh, I don't know how much of that I really want to get into because I don't know how I haven't thought it out well enough to probably record that and put that public. Um, but I do feel like there's almost like different callings on different ethnicities and that sort of thing. But also like in in family lines, mm-hmm. I think so often, especially in the charismatic world, they've like focused on generational curses and and all that kind of stuff Mm -hmm. and I don't even really want to get into that but one thing I did realize is like there are things in your family line that are God things that are gifts that are are pieces of him that he's hidden and put in different people in your family line and and I I don't know a ton about my history but as I started to figure some stuff out and some things that my parents started to figure out and they shared with me um I was blown away. Like one one example was um, that one of my family members he went around and built churches around the Midwest, and he would what? like I believe he would even fund it and physically build it. Wow! Find a pastor, put him over it, and move on. And what? he like was responsible for putting. Yeah, and so it's like it's interesting. Here I am, several generations removed, but like have, I have a very apostolic call. Right. And I just wonder how much of of people's, even their identities and their destinies mm-hmm. are tied up in the fact, not, not that you have to know your family line to know that, but mm-hmm. like if they knew that it would help point them even more clearly like, Hey, this is who you are. This is the lineage you're in. Yeah. And just like 
you know, in the Bible, like the tribes, like they had things that they were focused on. And those tribes, you, if you were in that line, you did those things. Right. Yeah. Um, you were a worshiper. That yeah. is who you are. You're going to be a priest, like that yeah. sort of thing. So, yeah. um, not that you're really related to every Indian, but like just talking about that and, and hearing about revival. And then also yeah. I'd love to hear about, um, you mentioned your one family member who was like a Wigglesworth of sorts. Um, it's wild. I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. Yeah. Yeah. There's two things. So, um, one, well, one, I have to, I have to make this comment here. Some of you guys are going to see, uh, my, my face here and, um, probably going to see me grimacing quite a bit. And <laughs> I recently just started feeling the Lord in just a really tangible way where I just like, I just like my whole body just kind of like what's happening right now. Um, so I make a funny face when that happens. Um, <laughs> turn into a meme or something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I was like looking over here and I was like, oh, that's my face. Because <laughs> I started feeling Jesus on that, you know. And um, yeah, but I think the other thing um, that I want to preface this with is uh, it's important to me uh, when discussing uh, genealogy and, and things like that, like family history and legacy, um, to... to kind of front foot by saying this, that yes, there are absolutely arrow markers, like directions that can be found in your lineage. Yes. Yeah. I believe that wholeheartedly, but equally as much, I don't think they're as, uh, they're, um, as necessary for those people that maybe, maybe you are the first in your generation to know Jesus. Yeah. Um, I think that you can make the argument on both sides, though, that you have a better understanding of where you're going to go or where you can go when you know where you've been or where you came from. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's what you're getting at there. Yeah. Well, uh, and even even uh, if your family wasn't believers, like I think that there's things that you see. Yeah. Even if those strengths were used mm-hmm. for evil purposes, right. like there's things that you can begin to see and be like, oh, wow, like yeah. this makes a lot of sense why I'm wired yes. this way yes. and why. Um, yes. And and I know you, I know people can get caught up in the negative side of that. Sure. And like, oh, this is why I, I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> I'm like, no, like, <laughs> no. Like, like anything pure yeah, anything is something pure. that is something that, that God sees through the generations. Like I've heard stories where, you know, there's there's people that are, are generations removed from today that uh, God spoke to them about some massive work, right, that they were going to do, but they never did it. Mm-hmm. But then there, I think I think um, uh, Daniel Kalenda actually was one of these guys where like generation or I think he was it was his dad or something like that. Do you remember this story? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was his dad or heard something. something similar, not about him, but. Yeah, it, it was his dad, I think it was, that, that, like, God spoke to him about, like, doing these mass crusades and stuff like that. Like, something pertaining to what Daniel Kalenda is doing today. Hmm. And it's like, when you look at stuff like that, like, I, I think that there's legitimacy to that, um, especially with the word of the Lord. Like, the word of the Lord is something that, that actually transcends generations, I think that what is today that I'm, I'm tasting of is something that my forefathers have prayed for. Hmm. So like to hit on um, just kind of what you were mentioning or alluding to with my ancestry, like there was a guy that I didn't, I didn't know about um, until I think uh, 2000, 
gosh, it would have been 2016, I believe it was. Um, and, you know, I came to Jesus in 2008. So well after when I came to Jesus, I got lit up by Holy Spirit in 2010. Okay, so still like eight years later, right? Not eight years later, but anyways, <laughs> I'm like doing the math. I'm like, <laughs> it's late. Yeah, it's late. It was way later. And, um, so what I found out was my, on my dad's side, there was a gentleman seven generations ago that it was six or seven. I need to go look. Um, but I'm pretty sure it was seven counting me. Um, seven generations ago that there was a missionary that came to India, Southern India, did these crusades, did these meetings. This ancestor of mine gave his life to Jesus and immediately started going into the mountains, preaching with his Bible in hand. And there were documented stories of him delivering people by smacking them upside the head with a Bible. <laughs> I love it. Right? I love it so much. Like, it's it's this Smith Wigglesworth-esque kind of a guy. And for me, talking, you know, seven generations later, like, I'm obsessed with power counter. Like, I'm obsessed with that kind of measure of power displayed from Holy Ghost. I'm obsessed with it. And yeah. I have been obsessed with it ever since God met me in that room behind a drum pit. Like I'm obsessed. I can't, that is one aspect. When I look at Jesus, I'm like, that's what I want to walk with. Hmm. Right? Like it's not so much that I want to smack people upside the head. Like, yeah, I'll do it. <laughs> like, I'll do it. You know, if, if God's on it, but like, it's the the intimacy that that is required hmm. to have such bold audacious faith in those moments to do the craziest things and watch God just move and come yeah <laughs> like that's what my heart burns for man it's like i don't ever have to be on a stage i don't ever have to have a name for myself I don't ever have to have a ministry I don't have to ever have to have anything like that it's like is God in the room and what is he asking me to do and will I follow it and when I do follow it does he come even more hmm. like, and that is something that again like studying my history I'm realizing oh man like somewhere along the way someone dropped that mm-hmm. and God's sovereignly reorganize my bloodline to have me contend to pick it up. Yeah. Hmm. And so I think that like, maybe, maybe you don't have, you know, someone like a Smith Wigglesworth esque kind of character in your bloodline, but maybe you have an entrepreneur, you know, from the 1900s that, literally started stuff and like couldn't stop getting the money. Yeah. Whether they're a Christian or not, whether they're a Christian or not, there's something on them for that. Yeah. There's something on them for that. And there's something that is up for the taking, you know, and it it gets kind of like, 
it gets kind of like muddy. Like how much of it is for the taking? Well, I want to believe for more. Mm-hmm. It's such a, like a lack mentality to say that what was then can't be today. Or what was then is not something that I should be contending for today. Yeah. Like it's such a lack mentality. Like God is the God of impossibilities. He says specifically with God, all things are possible. Yeah. So why not? And he's outside of time. Yeah. And he's outside of time. And it's like, when I get to heaven, I'm I'm not going to look at like, I'm not going to look at, um, you know, all of my ancestors and like, have no recollection of them. I believe like that I'm going to look at them and I'm going to recognize like I'm, t- I've, I've literally tasted the fruits of what you've done. Mm. Like, I think there's honor in that, right? Yeah. So it's really good. And I feel like this needs to be said because once again, you're going to have the people who are like, I have no idea. You know, like I've actually a lot of my friends that are African descent, like a lot of them will say that, like because mm-hmm. of slavery, they have no clue. Mm-hmm. They don't even know what tribe they're part of. Like right. a lot of them, you know, it's it's similar to to people here in the U.S. Always kind of like, oh yeah, I'm I'm native. You know, it's like you ask them one, they say Cherokee. You know, yeah. like everyone yeah. just thinks apparently everyone's Cherokee. Um, but it's just a guess. It's a grasp. You know, grasping at some sort of something. Mm-hmm. But I was at a, where this really started to make sense to me was I was at, uh, I was in a service and God gave me a word about it, about mm-hmm. he was going to start bringing up stuff in people's lineages that they didn't even know about that he had for them. Like, when hey, was that? This would have been probably 20, 2017. It was probably right before I left Columbus. That's crazy. And, um, and that was about the point. It was soon after that, that I started finding out stuff about my family mm-hmm. and, and it wasn't that I needed that information. Like I was bringing up stuff even before that, like, Hey, I put these things in your family. It's not that you have to have all the details and know who it was and what mm-hmm. side, you know, which parent's side it was. You don't need all that, but yeah. God can say, Hey, I, there was a, there was a measure of, of generating wealth mm-hmm. that I put in your family or an invention, mm-hmm. uh, preaching. It, it could be anything mm-hmm. that I've put in your family that is yours to pick up. And it actually belongs to your generational line and you know and then to me I'm always kind of like okay how much of that is actually validated you know by scripture and then you think about well we're trying to create generational legacy like we're trying to create something that blesses our children's children right so that is that is just a way that life works that's a way that this life works like God set it up that way the generations actually influence each other yeah yep and so I but when you under Jesus, you're part of a new lineage. And so you don't actually pull on all the curses and bring all that with you. You're part of Jesus's lineage, but there's things that are really pure that are in your family line. That's like, I want that. God, that was a gift to them, whether they saw it as a gift from God or not, that was a gift to them. And I want it for me and I want to grab a hold of it so that my children's children and and the generations forward, it's just a part of our family from here on out. And it's a manifested part, not just a hidden part of my family, but it's a manifested part. If I can, if I can change the mindset, money is just a really easy one, but if I can change the mindset and break off poverty Mm -hmm. 
at, at this point in, in my lineage mm-hmm. that my kids don't grow up in a poverty mindset, yeah. that they know how to generate wealth, yeah. that there's things that I can get breakthrough in and pass on to them. Um, I want that, yeah. you know, and, and I want, I want them to, to move forward with that. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, that's like, honestly, where, um, where my thought process started was like thinking about not just my kids, but like three generations from now. Yeah. Like, what is it that I'm going to do today that impacts them Mm. and working backwards from there? Um, and that's kind of where I started like getting really deep into history. Um, because I want to know, like, I want to know where we've been. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I, I, yeah, yeah. I'll end there. But, I would love to hear a little bit more. I mean, we could we could dig into that a lot. Yeah. Um, but I'd love to hear more about the what you found out about revival in India. Because honestly, I don't. Uh, I texted you back that I, I know of T. L. Osborne, mm-hmm. who was a missionary there. Uh, and then there's um, what's the woman's name that was there? She did stuff in India. It's not the Amy Carmichael, is it? I don't remember, man. I don't know. I've, I've like, those are like all the names that I studied, I think early on, like 2010, the, the more recent ones are names that I've just never heard of. And quite frankly, can't say, (laughs) (laughs) but but that's the thing, like India from my, my Western, even revival history perspective is like this land of a a million gods and like legitimately (laughs) a million gods, like it's one of those places that there's always missionaries going to there's mother Teresa. Like you've got those figures in history, but I've never heard of a revival. I've never heard of like a move of God in India, except for maybe early church. And we know of some that ended up in that, that region. Yeah. Um, I think, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think it's easy to blot it out, right? Like there's like 1.8 billion or something like that people in India. And so if a revival hits, I think all the revivals, like I think the biggest one that, um, that I found, um, was a few hundred thousand people, which is a lot of people, a lot of people, right. But in India, it's like not even a a drop drop in the the bucket, (laughs) right? Like it's like, it's a drop in the ocean. Yeah. Right. Um, so I think it's easy to blot those out, but I, I think like with that said, like, I think that. Again, part of what I'm obsessed with is like just raw presence on the earth. Mm -hmm. And there are moments in history that you can go back and you can see raw presence on the earth displayed. (laughs) Like Azusa is obviously a common one for everybody. Like seeing the fire manifest and everything, you know. Everybody drawing. There's stories like that in India. Well, it's good to know because it's like the, it's, it's the ancient wells. It's the, if we're going to redig these wells, it's good to know that something's happened, Yeah, you know, and it builds, it builds faith to even know that God's moved there Yeah, because Hinduism has been around (laughs) thousands of years. Yeah. And man, there's, yeah, it makes me, it makes me wonder like, so obviously these revivals, that India has experienced. Cause there's, I think the, the page that I was, I stumbled on was about specifically about the Pentecostal experience. So speaking in tongues, right? Like speaking in tongues and the wave of Azusa, like that kind of it hit India. There was, there were some pockets. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
and even before that, uh, in the 1800s, I believe, there was a move in Tamil Nadu, South India. So part of like where my family's from, hmm. um, where people were just getting saved, radically set free, left and right. Um, I haven't like I didn't dig too deep into it, just because I was kind of overwhelmed even at the thought and like why nobody talks about this, which is again part of like my message is like why don't we talk about what God has done more? Why do we dumb it down? Hmm. I've never understood that. Yeah. You know, like if something is controversial, like, you know, the classic example of today is like the glory cloud. Right. (laughs) But like you study history, church history specifically, there are documentation of things like that happening that predates Azusa. It's not just Azusa, which is the common one. Like it predates Azusa. And those kind of utterances, if you will, expressions have happened in India. Mm. Um, all over India, quite frankly. The the page that I was reading from, um, and I forgot the actual name of the scholar, but it was a scholarly work. It was like academia, right? And um, so I can't quote it. Um, <laughs> but... It was it was just fascinating. I was like just struck by this like realization like I think it was really arrogant and easy for me early on, like when I first came to Jesus in the radical way that I did, to think that I was just me. Hmm. Like it was just God sovereignly getting to me. And the more removed I get from that moment, the more I realize, no, I believe that I'm entirely a product of the prayers of my forefathers yeah prayers and covenants and covenants yeah there's there's so many that's that's I mean this would take it a different direction that we don't need to go but that's how like America I remember one time I was super frustrated and just looking at America and I remember God so clearly just started naming people Mm. he's like that's not going to happen because I have a covenant with and start naming people that are no longer on the earth. That's crazy. And it's just like, oh, wow. Like, we're actually, what we're in is much bigger than us. Yeah. Much bigger than we realize. Yeah. And that's that's over a nation, but you know, over families and stuff. Like, our our great-great-grandparents, like, we don't. And that's the thing is you might think you're the, the first believer in your generational line, and, and you have no clue. Yeah. Like, you don't actually know. Yep. And this gospel is so much, it's, it's permeated so much more of the world than we realize yeah. and you are a product of prayer somewhere yeah. whether right. you realize it or not yeah and you think about it this way man like so in India obviously they have a huge amount of gods right but you also hear all these stories of like a man in white appearing to them mm-hmm. and maybe they've never heard of Jesus but they know him as the way mm-hmm. do we call them not Christian it's controversial, right? Yeah. But like... At similar native cultures, there's all kinds of stories. Right. In like there. the Mayan culture, man, like mm-hmm. there's some wacky stories of a man in white burning, appearing to them, calling himself the way, the truth, and the life. Like, what do you make of that? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you, you look at like a nation like India, 1.8 billion majority is Hindu and Islam, Buddhist, 
Christianity is a minority. Like, I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, th- and think back to like generations before, like what if somebody made a covenant with the way? We know, we don't know. Yeah. Like, and we can't like, I think that, oh man, this is, <laughs> so I don't know if you want to take it this way, but Go I mean, I think about missions just as a whole in this light. Hmm. I think that, so I, I, I'm historically right. Like I came out of the AG and AG has phenomenal missions, phenomenal missions movement all across yeah. the world. They're doing some incredible things. Um, but I have met missionaries like from both both camps. Like some of the camps are like they go out with humility, but some of them is like very much like this. I'm going to take everything over, mm-hmm. and it's in the name of Jesus. But the way that they're going about it is like I'm literally just bringing the American church to your region. And it's like, well, hold up. What if, what if like there's a better way? Mm. What if there's a more organic way? And what if like, what if the name above all names is actually that the name above all names? Like, what if he has a name? Like, I think about the scene from, uh, from, uh, what is it? Uh, Narnia. Do you know which one I'm talking about? Where he's like, he's telling, I think he's telling it's Lucy at, at the end. Yeah. yeah. It's at the end. It made me, I cry. At that I point. cried so hard. Um, but it, it, as Len is, is telling Lucy is like, cause Lucy's not able to come back to Narnia or something like that. Um, it was her last time like in Narnia. Mm-hmm. Um, and Aslan just looks at her and says, well, she, she says, am I going to see you again? Oh, yeah, yeah, Because yeah. she knows it's the last time. That's right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then, and then he goes, um, in in your world, I, I don't even remember how to say it, in your world, I'm known by many names, or something like that, right? He said, uh, it's not by many names. He says, I, it, you'll have to find find out what I'm called in your world or some, something like that. But he alludes um, to like this idea that like, I am a very real being in your world. And I think that we can automatically assume, right? Like that every single person has to bow to this one iteration of who Jesus is. Hmm. Like, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Well, what if, like, what if he reveals himself as the way, the truth, and the life to somebody that can't receive Jesus? Hmm. Like, do we just say that they're not saved, even though they're walking with the way, the truth, and the life, that they know that none come to the Father except through him? It's, I don't know, it's radical, right? Like, it's radical to think about it that way. And what if, what if missionaries are like to bring like the gospel in a way that actually brings light to the revelations that people are already having? Mm-hmm. Like, would we be content with that? I don't know that we would. 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, I, well, especially Western world, we we want to bring knowledge. Yeah. And I think that's, like, one of our primary goals. It's good and bad. Yeah. But we want to educate. Like, yeah. you need to know a lot. Right. And I, I think what you're, what you're getting at is really... Uh, it's, it's a good conversation to have because there there are I mean there's just so many recorded instances of Jesus I mean first off Jesus is English that's an English right that's his English name I'm glad you said that because I wasn't going to say that and <laughs> and Hebrew is Yeshua right and you know but and in different languages it, it can be different right and so but then he also refers to himself as different things throughout scripture mm-hmm. and so no it's counter scriptural it's no. not another god it's no. not yeah, multiple I, ways you know it's, yeah. it's still one way right but that has happened I, I forget what um I might have to ask Robert Slurden about this one but uh, there's the one story of this tribe who basically the, their elders had had these visions of the man in white and he, they were following him. Their, their tribe began to follow this man in white and they were told that these people with white skin were going to come and, and bring a book that would explain about the man in white. And then they showed up. I oh my goodness, even talking man. This, but then they showed up. Yeah. A missionary showed up the Bible and began to teach them about it and they accepted it instead of killing these people mm-hmm. like they accepted it because of these visions they've been having they're already starting to follow mm. this man in white who is manifesting himself to their elders yeah. but never said hey I'm Jesus yeah hey there's these missionaries that are going to come mm-hmm. they're going to have a Bible they're going to teach you theology like yeah. it wasn't that yeah and so those missionaries got to connect the dots for them right yeah or David Hogan he has lots of stories like that too where people are getting healed through the man in white showing up coming through their ceiling coming through their wall oh my goodness touching them yeah. and then he asked them questions they all describe him the same way yeah and he says that's Jesus he's right. king and yeah. then they give their lives oh. to Jesus Jesus. And it's like being able to do that versus the almost imperialistic, like we're going to complain in American church here and you're going to all adopt American, our American culture around who Jesus is. It's like Jesus is so much bigger than that, man. Yeah. And he's so much more beautiful. I, uh, so, you know, this is kind of full circle, but man, like being in Seattle is like one of the hardest seasons of my life, but it's also been the most liberating season of my entire life with Jesus. Mm. And it's literally because I've known him so intimately as more than just what I've, I've been taught about him in, in the American church. Yeah. And I want to make it really clear, like, I'm not saying that everything under the sun is Jesus. Like, we know that there's demons posing as angels of light. We know that. But this man in white that's burning, man, like, that is Jesus. And um, there's just such, there's something so pure about what I believe that he's releasing in the earth. Like, it is an increase of glory. It is like, and I think that that measure of glory is something that we have not, as a as a as a people, as a church, as a nation, as as the nations. I don't think we've ever experienced what we're about to experience on the earth. Hmm. 
And I think it takes a people willing to be like humble and to turn back to the feet of Jesus and come back to like the basics. Like I, this is one of the reasons I love, man. Like I love what Michael Kulianis is going after. Yeah. Like I love that, man. Like simple Jesus. Because we've so overcomplicated it. And I think that it translates to missions, man. And I'm watching as missions missionaries are getting burned out. Like on the field because they're not seeing any immediate fruit. They're not seeing anything. But what if, man, like what if we're just supposed to be overseas and we're just supposed to welcome glory? Yeah. Build an altar. Just build an altar for the king of all kings to make his throne in a nation. Can a nation be saved? Yes, I believe that. But like, what if that is what we're supposed to be burning with, man? Mm. Like, what is what if that is missions? Like, what if that has always been missions? Like, when I look at even even the records of, of the apostles going into all these different nations, yes, they they proclaimed, yes, they demonstrated. But I can't I can't help but think, man. Like at the end of the day, like what were they doing? I believe that they were literally just hosting yeah. God. Well, which we see with Peter and how he's overshadowed enough mm-hmm. that his shadow can heal. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's quite honestly, it's it's really easy for me to talk about all this, right? Because I'm over here in Seattle, but I'm I'm you know I just got back from a wedding um, with my buddies that are, that are literally in like unreached places, darkest places that are literally closed off. Like they've been kicked out of nations before, you know. And um, I like think about how they're going about it. And like, I love exactly what they're doing because they're literally trying to model exactly who Jesus was and is on the earth. How he walked with his disciples, how he went into the streets, how he went into the economy, how he did all of those things. And at the end of the day, just welcomed them into his home Mm -hmm. and just sat taught them how to pray, taught them how to read, taught them how to laugh. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That is what I think missions needs to be, man. That's what I think that, like if, and don't get me wrong, like I think there's, again, multiple expressions of this, but I think at the core of everything that we do, say, be, whatever it is, like that needs to be it. And I think that there's like a, there's like an urgency and there's like a holy moment right now, this, this moment in history where we're, where we're literally like invited into this. I think that like the big C church, like we're being invited into this level of intimacy. Yeah. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's unprecedented for the times that we're in. And I'm not talking from like a doom and gloom perspective. It's like, no, this is, this is the glory. Yeah. The knowledge of the glory that is being revealed today. Yeah. I think, I think what you're talking about is, is it's not just missions. It's, it's the Christian life. Like this mm-hmm. is, it legitimately is what we're called to. Mm-hmm. Um, I think once again, Western church, we spend so much time trying to convince people. Mm-hmm. And I think we're seeing, especially with Corona and just all the stuff happening in our nation, we're seeing that that's failing yeah. really, really quickly. Yeah. 
and we're trying to convince people to stay. Yeah. And it's like until until we carry God in such a way, until He is overshadowing us, till till we see until we see that Jesus is it. Like, there really is nothing else. It's yeah. not Jesus and my ministry. It, right. Jesus and, and these programs we're going to do. It's, it's, it's none of that. It's not yeah. Jesus and this conference. It's, it's Jesus. Yeah. So, like, if, if what we're doing isn't, isn't actually just presenting him, mm-hmm. there's no point. Right. And, and I think that that's what... I think that's where we're headed. I think, I, I think it is, it's that manifestation of... When people begin to get on their faces and they just recognize Jesus, like we don't have you all figured out. He is the 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 message of him is so you can probably hear kids in the background (laughs) or in a church. Uh, The message of him is is so simple, but the depth of him is so profound. Yeah, and so much so that for all of eternity we're going to be able to seek him out and not find all of him, (laughs) which is incredible to think about. But then to think about the arrogance mm-hmm. of, I, I've experienced, I've experienced it personally. But like the arrogance of the church mm-hmm. that that we've, every church, every movement has ended up in it at some point, where we feel like we've got him figured out. Like oh, we finally understand Jesus. Like no one would, no one would say that. But that's the heart posture, because <laughs> the heart posture, you can tell the difference. Because we'd still be hungry. We'd still be pursuing. We'd still be going after more of him. And I forget who said this, but uh, the, the quote, maybe it's Raven Hill. But you know, you know you've fallen into religion when you go to church already knowing what to expect. And like that idea is... That's what we've fallen into. And yeah. I think that's missions has become the same thing. Yeah. It's like, we're going to go. We're going to do it. We're going to build this thing. It's like... You could get into the missions field, or like us, we moved to Seattle, both of us, mm-hmm. from different parts of the country, we moved here, Thought with we expectations. Do, do it up, man. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, what if what if the expression of God for here looks so totally different? What if, <laughs> what if revealing Jesus to this group of people in this section of the world looks different than what we're used to? Yeah. How do we, how do we translate Jesus to them? Yeah, yeah. How do we how do we carry God in a profound way here? Yeah. I think that's that's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, that's what we're we're, we're hitting on the surface of. Yeah. We're... yeah, there's a there's a story that's coming up um, that I just really admire, man. I really admire this. Um, and again, people that people that listen to this might like be rubbed the wrong way by this. But uh, it's a story of David Hogan, actually, that I hold and treasure in my heart. Um, I was listening to him at one time speak, and he had mentioned something crazy that was going on at one of the places that he was speaking at. And he got there, he's like traveled all day, you know, he's hungry, all that kind of stuff. (laughs) He does his thing, and the glory comes in the room. And like instruments are playing themselves and just like wacky things, mm-hmm. right? Like whole worship teams on the ground can't get up. Right, can't get up and like literally the glory falls in this place and David Hogan gets up and he's like, Alright, I'm gonna go eat now <laughs> <laughs> And it it's like it rocks me and not because like I'm sure that he wasn't like being like ignorant or arrogant about the presence in the room or anything like that, but it makes me think about the level of intimacy that he has with Jesus to know 
that he's accepted, that he's loved, mm-hmm. that he can like walk away and literally experience in that in his living room. And the, the amount of intimacy he's cultivated in his own self, in his own self, in recognizing that it's not about all of that. It's about just knowing him. Yeah. Like that like sticks with me because like at the end of the day, like, you know, I talk a lot about hunger. I talk a lot about um, fire. I talk a lot about, you know, uh, glory, specifically glory. I don't, I named my daughter glory. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But at the end of the day, man, like when I say glory, I mean, I want Jesus. Mm -hmm. I want face to face with Jesus. Yeah. Um, if the instruments play themselves, that's cool, but I want Jesus. Right. Like, yeah, I'll take the other stuff. Right. But I want Jesus. Yeah. I mean, that, that, you see that in uh, the mountain trip, the transfiguration, right? Mm-hmm. With, with, uh, oh gosh, I'm like Peter and John. Yeah. Yeah. Peter and John. And with James. Me. And James. I always forget that guy. <laughs> Even though his book is probably like the most like wisdom esque <laughs> in the new Testament, but, um, <laughs> probably says something about me (laughs) no but i mean i I see that in 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 that display right like he's they're they're up in this place where jesus is transfigured before their eyes and they're looking at everything else literally everything else Yeah, he he manifests as the other is what it says the other it's just like what like i don't ever want to get to that place you know obviously god was merciful jesus is merciful He's gracious, he's kind, he's all of that, right? And I'm sure that there have been moments that I've done that. Probably will be moments that I do that. But I want to always be in the posture and the place where Jesus Jesus is the only thing. Mm. He is the only one that matters. And my tie with him is what will change anything else. But I don't ever have to see any of that to know that I'm going after the right thing, the right one. That that section of scripture is kind of interesting because he reveals himself as the other, you know, clothed in lightning, all that, and it's a very similar description to Revelation. In the same John who experiences the transfiguration, transfiguration that way, and he's part of the. And let's build a, a tabernacle. Like, right, right, right. Let's, let's do something. Elijah and Moses are here. Like, yeah. <laughs> we'll never leave the spot. The old religion. Yeah. yeah. Like, let's do something. Yeah. And like, Jesus is like, be in this with me. Right. Like, just yeah. be in this with me. And that same John experiences that. What I would assume is the same. He saw that the the not just the humanity of Jesus. He it was revealed like who Jesus is mm-hmm. in that he was the other. He mm-hmm. was unworldly. Mm-hmm. I, and I believe that's the same Jesus, the same type of Jesus or uh, aspects of Jesus that he saw in in his encounter at Patmos. Mm-hmm. But in that encounter at Patmos, he falls like a dead man. Mm-hmm. His response is different. And I wonder why that is. Oh, I don't know. I wonder if his heart was transformed because it's really interesting. I'm sure you've experienced this. This, this takes us a, a little bit different direction, but there's... I've been around those moments where it's like it's hard to stand in God's presence or like people can't speak and then you've got the people who have no idea what's happening and they like have no respect for it they're on their phones they're like want to talk to people yeah. and it just has always blown my mind yeah. and it's like there's something on 
almost like there's something there's something blocking it in their heart to be able to experience that. And sure. it's, it's like John, like he had such love for Jesus, even without being filled with the Holy Spirit yet. He had such a love for Jesus would lay against his chest. Mm-hmm. Something had changed. Not just him being filled with the Holy Spirit, but he was a different person by the time he got to Patmos. Yeah. And there was such a depth and openness to the to the, the, the things of God mm-hmm. that even just seeing it he felt like a dead man. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just processing out loud. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's good. I mean the thing that comes to mind is like just the difference between, you know, the moment that they walked with Jesus on the earth and then the moment of Christ in you, mm-hmm. right? Where Holy Spirit comes. I think it's a, I mean, it must have been different for them, right? Like, yeah, they had the tangible Jesus in this this way, but like, I almost wonder, it's not, um, it's not that humanity limited Jesus, but I think that, um, that Jesus came in a way that, um, that made sense mm. to everyone right and so like even his disciples like it made sense and I think Jesus again in his mercy and his kindness I think revealed the heart of the father I think that was like the purpose there right like yeah, he only did what he saw the father do he only said what he heard the father say he revealed the heart of the father um, and I think about like I think about what happens after Holy Spirit comes and I, and I think about like you know the revelation story all of it right like it's wacky man like to anybody reading it it's just like what the heck is going on here like you got horses flying everywhere you got horns and eyes everywhere it's like our, our naked eyes can't like perceive that mm. right like and I almost wonder like if the transition between John the Beloved at Jesus' side and John the Beloved after Apostle John, after Holy Spirit came, I wonder if he just experienced Jesus in a whole different way Hmm. that led him to that whole moment. Right. I don't know. I'd have to do some digging on that, but it's just fascinating to think about. It is. Because the other side of it, I think... um, you know, you mentioned, like, people on their phones and stuff, like, when God's in the room. Um, I almost wonder if that, like, I think there's, there are elements of, like, blockage, right? Like, just people legitimately, like, whether it's unforgiveness or bitterness or shame. I think I, I run into that a lot, shame mm. on people that, like, cause them to, like, be scared of God in those moments and so they like turn the other way and run um but I think that there's there's an element there where um I think the other side of it like besides those like issues I think there are some people that like that's just not how God interacts with them and I think that's okay Mm. you know there's a there's a and part of part of the reason I say this is because like some of the people that I've come across are literally the opposite of me. Like I'm, I'm such a feeler, you know, like I feel so deeply. Yeah. I'm able to manage them and like save face. Like I'm able to like hide my emotions most of the time. Um, but there have been some people that I've come across that literally like no emotions. <laughs> you can't tell anything. 
<laughs> you know, and they're the ones that are analytical. They're like all up in that world and they can't understand like abstract anything. But I have also met some of those same people that absolutely love Jesus, that have experienced Jesus in a really unique way through their analytical perception. Mm. Um, and I, I'm distinctly remembering um, there was a prayer meeting that actually Alyssa, my wife and I met at um, years ago and like God would come in the room every week and it was amazing. Like, you know, a bunch of college kids in this room and we called it that. I think it was called, yeah, it was mm. called Reviving Prayer. Hmm. met at a, a church that we were like I don't think I've ever actually shared this part with you um, but yeah we, we met at this church and there was probably a, like when it was booming I think we had probably close to 200 people 200 students come in and they would cycle through week after week and ultimately wow. it would come back to like just encountering God and learning how to hear his voice that's like what the whole thing was premised on hmm. um, but there was there were some guys that literally would just be on their phone the whole time. And, you know, I'd be leading worship or something, and, like, <laughs> this guy in the crowd would come up to me afterward, and he'd be like, why are you leading worship? I felt face uh, get on fire, and, uh, you know, I started speaking in tongues. It was my first time ever. And then you had this guy in the same room <laughs> on his phone, just thumbing away, like, whatever, you know? But when you talk to both of them, there was an equal level of revelation and understanding of what was happening in that moment, hmm. which like, that's, that's like what I think about. I'm like, I think it's easy for for us to like write off every single person that's not experiencing God. And when like everybody's on the floor, on the floor, on their face. Yeah. But I think there are some people that, that is uniquely like how God works on them and in them. Um, yeah. Like I'm like recalling this conversation that I had with the guy and like he would come week after week just hungry hmm. but he like literally was like the most black and white personality <laughs> I've ever met like we're not really friends like I don't you know I don't keep in touch with him anymore but I remember like that's not a guy that I would hang out with just candidly like it was hard to hang out with him because literally it would just be so black and white <laughs> but he loved Jesus. Yeah. And he actually, I, yeah, if I recall, I'm like, it's coming back to me now. He wanted to be a missionary. <laughs> so like, yeah. Yeah. That's funny. I forgot about this story. Yeah. That's cool. Well, it, it kind of makes me think too, um, with what we were, we were talking about a second ago, um, about, basically just allowing Jesus to be Jesus in the room. And like, I think, I don't know how to say this any better, so I'm just going to say it, but I feel like we, we tend to, and I, I've been very guilty of this, but we, we tend to fall into this place of being more judgmental. Mm. And it's actually probably even a, a bit of control, mm. like wanting everyone to respond a certain way. And there's definitely those moments that like God is doing something holy in the room and everyone needs to, come under that like those moments exist but I feel like there's so much of of that that comes up in the the hearts of leaders that really is control it's like you can't be experiencing God because you're not doing this kind of thing and it's just getting to that place where it's like 
I, I'm just going to become, I'm going to pull on God. God's yeah. going to come in the room. Yeah. If, if you guys want to be a part of that, <laughs> that's awesome. But I'm going to do it. Yeah. And, and you can join me or not. But Jesus is going to come. Yeah. And we're going to just, I'm going to give room for him. And I'm not going to sit here and try to control you guys. And I think that that is, I mean, that's what Jesus modeled, right? Yeah. Like, they'd experience him. He'd teach these, these truths that would penetrate their hearts. And yeah. they're like, who are you? And then they'd want to follow him or not. You know, and he, he didn't sit there and try to convince them. Right. He's like, you know, tell them something. Somebody gets healed. Okay, I'm going this way. Yeah. And he would just go. Yeah. And, you know, I was listening to... Um, <laughs> sounds bad I was making the intro to this I was listening to some of my old messages Mm -hmm. and one of the things I I, at one point I was like this is a prophetic word for you I was speaking and I said he who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom Mm -hmm. and I went into this thing like it was kind of spontaneous and kind of prophetic but like just talking about um, looking like being in that place where you always got to look back, like the kingdom's always moving forward. Mm-hmm. So if you're not moving forward, like you're not in the kingdom, yeah. like wow. stay, stay in line with the kingdom, keep moving forward. Yeah. And like you mess up, you realize you, you lost your hunger, whatever. Okay. Pick up, start moving, yeah. move with the kingdom. But Jesus modeled that. Like yeah. Jesus didn't stay still. And not that, not even physically, but like he didn't get stuck in, well, these people didn't really agree with what I said. Like, they didn't really get it. Yeah. He, he understood, like, my... I love all of them. Yeah. I'm about to I'm about to give my life for all of them. Yeah. Even these ones that are rejecting me. Mm-hmm. Like, he, that was the level of love he had. Yeah. But he also, he also knew and honored the Father enough to know, i got to keep moving. Yeah. Like, I've got a bigger mission here. And I, I think that it's really easy for any leaders who are listening, like... I mean, really, anybody. If you're if you're a believer, period, it's easy to get caught up in the little things that hold us back when we're actually supposed to just keep moving forward. We get caught up in that one person that we're like, we get so focused on. It's like you can love them and keep moving forward. You can share the good news with them, and your life can preach that to them, and you can keep moving forward. And oftentimes, those are the ones who get they get dragged in that way. Like when you actually let go. Of, of trying to convince somebody or trying to pull somebody in or trying to cons- control somebody's experience with them. And then you find they're just like, okay, I give up. I can't do this anymore. And you start moving forward. It's like, that's the moment close where it's like, okay, now you're going to let me do my job mm-hmm. and you're not going to try to do it for me. Mm-hmm. And so I, I don't know. I just hearing all that just made me think like, man, I know that that's happened. Even if, even if it's just in my heart, yeah. that's wrong. But I know that I've been in that place where I've judged yeah. people in that and and like there is a difference like there's times you can't actually discern and like sure. you know it's clear through Holy Spirit like I know that person is not engaged right now yeah or they're checking out yeah 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 I but, think you can hear a lot of that yeah mm-hmm. yeah I get that and I think I, like <laughs> if I can add this like part of the way that I go about it is like because early on like uh, when when I met Holy Spirit, um, you know, we would go downtown all the time in Springfield. I would be there almost every day and just like telling people about Jesus and praying for them and watching them get healed and all that kind of stuff. Right. And I remember, um, I remember like one day feeling at odds with myself 
because you know I started seeing some people like not receive mm. or some people like receive but then have nowhere to go so mm. both both elements right like the people that I couldn't disciple or I couldn't lead them into a place to be discipled whether it was they didn't want to go or whatever and then the other side was like just stuff wasn't happening um and I remember having this conversation with the Lord uh, about it. And I was like, God, what do I do? Mm. Because I'm feeling pressure to get these people in the church, get these people, you know, plugged in with this, this, and that, like disciple making, right? I'm feeling that pressure. And the Holy Spirit really convicted me. He's like, it's, if I brought you to them for such a moment as this, and I'm the one that's doing this. Like, don't you think that I can I can be bigger than you having to control the situation? Yeah. And that like really did shape the rest of my life. I would say um, to recognize like those different moments with Jesus. It was like, yeah, he did like impact a ton of people. Some of them didn't follow him. What did Jesus do? How did Jesus live after that? Did yeah. he look back? Did he stop? You know what I mean? Like what scripture tells us, is like he had a mission. He was only doing what he saw the father do. Mm. Right. And there were even instances where he told them not to say things after he, they were healed yeah. and delivered. Right. Like, so if, if I'm modeling my life after Jesus, then I should model my life after Jesus. And, recognize that he does transcend my limits because I can only handle so many conversations a day. So if I'm a pastor of, you know, 4,000 people and I'm trying to be concerned with every single one of them, like there's an element of like pastoring and shepherding them. But at the end of the day, like however you go about it, I think first and foremost, it has to come with getting on your knees and praying. Yeah. Like if you're seeing people that are leaving your flock or that are distant, unengaged or uninterested, then my challenge would be let's pray for more because I genuinely believe when you meet Jesus, when Jesus is in the room, when Jesus comes and and convicts, can't turn away that's kind of I don't know that's like what I envision like getting into a room if there's a bunch of people and I don't even have to say a word Jesus just comes in the room makes me think of uh, Brian Garen yeah (laughs) whatever man like I can get out of the way like so quickly (laughs) I don't need to be there yeah. Well, it's easy to lean on your own strengths. Yeah. Like if you're a good, good speaker, good preacher, good teacher, it's easy to lean on that. Yeah. And like, and then think that you have to do that thing better to keep people. Right. And it's like, man, like a lot of us, if we would just fast and pray and just get soaked up with Jesus, it's like, yeah, some might, some might leave. Yeah. And they may not have value for it, but God will draw others. Like yeah. that actually does draw people. Yep. It, um, if 
if Christ be lifted up, he'll draw all men unto himself. Like that's that's a promise. Like yeah. if we lift him up, if if we just become so saturated with him that when we step up, you know, whether it's just being in the room or on a stage, whatever it looks like, people will be drawn to Jesus. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's really good. Um, I wanted to ask you. Um, this will be one of the last questions, but just what what can you give us a glimpse into like your secret place time or or your like your spiritual disciplines or some rhythms like whatever in that you want you yeah. want to emphasize like is there something that has been really impactful for you that's brought you closer to Jesus that yeah we're sharing yeah I start off every time I come to him I just I honestly just say like make me like you mm. like it's really simple. But um, specifically from Isaiah 11, you know, the spirits of God, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like when I look at that passage, I look at Jesus. Hmm. And I, I think about like, that is literally who Jesus is. And so I look at that and I say, like, make me like you. Like I want wisdom. I want all of these things. And I want to just literally emanate who you are in fullness um, so that's like the first and foremost thing and it, it depends on, on where I'm at I think there are some days where um, I guess let me let me start by saying this discipline is every day like every day I spend time with them I can't not and some days it'll it'll vary like if I'm like I'm having a really busy day and Glory's like <laughs> needing extra attention. Alyssa's needing extra attention. Then I'm like looking for my car drive. So maybe 10 minutes there. I'm looking for my, you know, my bathroom time. Love encountering Jesus in the bathroom. Yeah. It's probably the most vulnerable place I, I am, right? <laughs> uh, but I love doing that. I love taking a shower and just like, just sitting with him. Mm. Like sometimes literally I'll just kneel like, and I think it's it's something to be said, like, it's a weird experience, but honestly, I love being naked in the presence. Um, it's Back it's a, to the garden. It's, it is, man. Like, and it's, it's so weird. And, um, and I'm not saying that it's for everybody, but for me specifically, I think that the majority of my life I've like wrestled with shame. Hmm. And so every time that I get naked in front of the presence, like, it's just me and him. There's nothing, literally nothing that's hidden. Um, so I, I try to do like at least 10 minutes a day. Like I know that's not a lot, but like at bare minimum, like it has to be enough for me to get away and just look, look to him. Um, and sometimes that'll be a lot. Sometimes that's not recently. Um, I've been fortunate enough to have this space at the church where I literally get away for hours and just sit here. Sometimes I don't even turn on the music. Sometimes I just sit here and just wait for him. Mm. And he just comes. Um, and it's just so beautiful, man. And so, like, so humbling that he would just sit here with me. Yeah. And I don't really need anything. You know, as long as he's here, I'm, I'm okay. So sometimes it's just sitting here, um, a journal every now and then, every other day maybe, is, is kind of where I'm at. 
Um, and then with scripture, like when I'm sitting here on those hour long hours, kind of a stretch, like I'll just have my Bible open and just let him navigate me through. Uh, on the days when I'm not like having that devoted time, uh, I would say that, you know, I'd try to read something on my phone, like at least one verse. If I can extract, you know, everything from that one verse for that day, like it's mm. my bread. Yeah, it's really good. Is there a, like a, a book of the Bible that's like your, I don't know, like your book, like one that's really had a, a great impact on you? Uh, yeah. So any of the Gospels, um, specifically Mark, actually, oddly enough, just kind of weird because I don't really hear a lot of people talk about Mark in that way. They usually go like John or Matthew. Um, but yeah, Mark. Mark has been one. And then Psalms. Psalms is like a day in, day out. Got to live in the Psalms, man. Mm. Um, yeah. Like anytime I'm feeling down, anytime I want to celebrate, anytime. Like I just live in the Psalms. Yeah. So interesting that King David's, basically his journal... Yeah. It was like so impactful yeah. all, this, all these years later. Yeah. Hmm. Um, I have a thought on the, the Mark thing because it kind of makes sense. Like, I don't know if you've ever, are you familiar with DISC? 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 Like, yeah, personality testing. Uh-uh. So it's like, um, I don't know, it's similar to all the others. Uh, but basically, like, the different types, um, they actually, the, the people who trained us in it at our, our old church, they took the Gospels and showed how each of the Gospels actually were a different, mm-hmm. like, personality type. Interesting. Like, the writers. Okay. And Mark is the one that is, uh, it's the D in disc, but is, like, very direct to the point. Which is totally me. Yeah, it's, like, kind of the action, like, let's just get to the good yeah, parts yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. And that's how Mark is written. That's why it's shorter. It just is, like, major miracles. <laughs> that's funny. Um, Verse like the, some of the different ones that are like like Matthew's. Here's this <laughs> whole chapter of genealogy. Yeah. Like, why do we need this? Yeah, Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Um, but they felt like they, they need to put certain things in. So. Yeah. Anyways, and then That's you got. That's funny. You know, oh, I the disciple that Jesus loved. <laughs> Anyways. Yeah. Well, um, how can how can people follow you or keep up with you? I know you're kind of like, <laughs> you're like one step above a guy who lives in a trailer out in the woods and like, <laughs> has everything cut off, doesn't have an address, but how can people uh, keep up with That would be my to? dream lifestyle. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. Honestly, I'm probably the most like easygoing. There's people that come to me like five years from when I connected with them and I like, I welcome them with open arms. So get with Ryan, follow me on Facebook. That's where I'm at right now because of a gentleman in Springfield, shout out, that um, only wants to connect on Facebook Messenger. So that's the only reason I'm on Facebook these days. So. Yeah, you don't really use your Instagram, do you? I deleted my Instagram. Did you? Mm-hmm. Well, see, I didn't even notice because no. you don't <laughs> post. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... Um, Okay, so the the very last thing, um, this is something I want to ask all my guests. Um, I've pre-prepared you with this. Uh, I don't. I already forgot about it. But. Yeah, 
Uh, it was in the midst of setting everything up. <laughs> but in two minutes, if our entire listener base, if, if every person who's hungry for more of Jesus is listening right now, and you had two minutes to, to speak directly to them, uh, something that will stir them up. If you want, you can even look in, in your camera and speak directly to them two minutes to stir up more hunger, stir them up to go after Jesus more. What would you say? Yeah, I think there's an invitation for that type of hunger. So ask him for it. I think second, I would say, start with the fear of the Lord. Just ask him to reveal the fear of the Lord. Because what you'll find is you'll be drawn to the feet of Jesus to be staring into his eyes. That's burning with intensity for you. Um, And that's kind of where I've been at. And so I think that those are the two places that you can start. It's less than two minutes, but it's really good. Could talk about the fear of the Lord all day. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Well, thank you guys. Thank you so much for listening or watching and or watching, I guess I should say. Um, This has been great. Vince, thank you for being on. Thank you for being a good friend. Um, Can't wait to have you on again. Uh, for all you guys, uh, please reach out. Let us know how this impacted you. Let us know uh, your thoughts. Um, if you got anything out of this, message us uh, on any of our social media or email us at info at firemovement.com. Uh, once again, if, you, if you'd like to support, if this is impacting you in any way and you want to support us and what we do, you can do a one-time gift or uh, you can support monthly uh, go to firemovement.com slash support uh, and you'll see the options there and we thank you for all that be praying for us uh, we love you guys a lot